Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit Amfem.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to StageCraft, Variety's theater podcast bringing you backstage and behind the scenes with the stars and creators of the hottest shows on Broadway, on the West End, on tour, in Australia, and on a Norwegian Cruise Line's cruise ship. I'm talking about Six, the musical that's new to Broadway but has already played all those places I just mentioned, all while its cast recording racks up millions of digital streams. Six imagines the wives of Henry VIII competing in an American Idol-style pop music competition, and it arrives in New York with an enthusiastic fan base already in place, thanks to two engagements at the Edinburgh Fringe, an Olivier-nominated West End production that's still running, and North American stops in Chicago, Boston, St. Paul, and Edmonton. You can also catch Six on a Norwegian cruise ship. All of which is to say, Six is already really popular, and it's looking poised to be just as popular here in New York. It all adds up to a big breakout success for three young theater makers who were still in university when all this got started. Composer and co-writer Toby Marlowe, co-writer and co-director Lucy Moss, and co-director Jamie Armitage. All three are in the studio with me now to talk Tudor Queens, pop icons, and conference rooms in Edinburgh. Hi, Lucy, Jamie, and Toby. Thanks for joining me. Hi! Hi. (laughs) (laughs) So I saw the show pretty early in what I think was your second week of previews. And there were people there already having sort of a full-on, full-body experience with this sort of full concert experience with this score that they clearly knew really, really well and sort of knew all the words to and they could sing along and dance along at all the right moments and knew when the beat was going to drop and all that stuff. When did that start to happen uh, over this over this process as it made its way to New York? Um, I, I mean, in America, I think in our very first preview in Chicago, there were a bunch of people who'd like driven from across the country to come and see it and had like listened to it all before we we even had 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 a a show. And they'd heard it on Spotify or something, presumably. Yeah, Yeah, I guess since like the album came out, like even when it was doing its like first seven week run in London's West End. Right. Once the album had come out, like some people there like were singing along to the words and stuff, which was, yeah. How did that? How, yeah, I was just going to say, how does that feel when you? Uh, I mean, some people knew some of the some of the dance moves as well, and some of the like staging stuff. Like, how how does that feel as you watch people sort of uh, react when so enthusiastically? It's incredible because you know that it's kind of made some impact on them, and they're so 
delightful and it just gives you like the kind of energy you need sometimes when you're feeling a bit tired or a bit like overworked by it and then suddenly you come in and you see these incredible um audience members who are just buzzed out of their mind to be there and it's the kind of thrill that just is infectious to us it's cool as well because it makes it feel a bit more like a pop concert you know mm. like you don't go along to like watch beyonce and just say that like because you, you know because like, like you know the songs and you like want to sing along with that you know right Right. Uh, that's why I go. I go to sing. Yeah. <laughs> but then it hasn't always been like that. Like our first previews was before the album came out and we had very skeptical audiences who had no idea what they were seeing were kind of there because we were at their local theater. This and was they Jamie probably, when? When was this? This, this would have been summer 2018 when we did our first few previews and specifically in Norwich and then in Cambridge. Okay. Um, that was before the first West End run, is that right? Yes, yeah. it okay. was. Yeah. And um, they were, I mean, I'm kind of grateful for them because it was tough to watch because they were being so honest in their feedback but it meant we could actually see the show for what it was and you didn't just get caught up in excitement about it which is incredible but just in terms of trying to analyze it at that stage it was really useful to have audiences that you had to we had to work really hard to win over right and what now that you've seen the show with uh people from all around the world and you and it's played in all sorts of places uh, is there something that makes broadway audiences stand out do they react in ways that are different um there's there's definitely extra screaming and extra <laughs> love and support. But what's really cool about our kind of experience at the show over the last year or so is that no matter where we are, the reactions are, are, are often quite similar. Like it feels quite like awesome to turn up in like Sydney and see Australian re- audiences reacting in the same way to how they are in like Chichester and England. So, mm. yeah. Also in Broadway, the tickets are so much more expensive. I guess they're like decide they're going to have a great time before they come into the theatre because <laughs> they've spent so much money on it. <laughs> I'm kidding. No, I'm sure they actually enjoyed the show. <laughs> I'm just playing it down. <laughs> um, and are you, Toby, are you working on, um, are either of you working on, um, or I guess you too, Jamie, in terms of the staging. what uh, Are you making any changes specifically for this Broadway version that will make it look or play or sound different uh, to to how it has played elsewhere? Yeah, so I, there's been a, a couple of like writing and like orchestration changes that we've done just like for fun and just because like we had a bit of time before the production went up and we had all these previews to try things out. So we've done a, a few like fun little musicy changes. But then there's there's a couple of like st- staging changes of like things that we've always like dreamed of doing mm-hmm. in the show, but but just because like budget and time haven't done them before mm-hmm. but there are like a couple of moments which um i won't spoil but like a couple of staging things and a couple of like visual things a few visual treats which um which we were able to do for this production which has been super, really cool you know right and i think that was our rule when we were talking about it so we always had to make sure that the changes we were making were things that were based on ideas we already had because there was an element of us needing to upscale the show slightly for this and you know, we could have gone wild and done, you know, a gimmick for every single number so that it just feels like you can see the budget being spent on stage. But we kind of felt that would be dishonest to what the show is. And so we were very keen on only making changes which were based on an idea, like Toby said, that we hadn't been able to do before, but we would have done if we'd been able to. And that has been like our guiding principle. Right. Let's talk a little bit about the backstory of uh, the show and how it got started. So first of all, where were you all coming from? What kind of work had you been doing before six and did it look anything like what six has turned into i mean like 
like work is a very generous term because we were like, at university making doing stupid shows, <laughs> stupid <laughs> comedy sketch shows and things like that. So I don't know. It feels quite, I love the idea of me being like, yes, the children's production of Bobble on my skill. Um, no, uh, uh, I had come from a sort of dance background. Um, I trained in musical theatre for a couple of years before going to university. Um, so I dropped out of that and then had spent a lot of time directing plays and then working with a lot of new writing um, on the kind of comedy scene um, at our university. And that sort of similar vibe for you, Jamie, wasn't it? Yeah, I'd um, been performing in sketch shows and writing sketch shows. And then in my second of three years at university, started doing some directing, which I really liked, and mainly started off in Shakespeare, but also did this big pantomime which toby was the composer on and i guess that's similar in terms of like the comedy musical elements of it really came from there right um but it's all quite varied for all of us which is probably a good thing right i did i did like a lot of performing okay uni. um did you then, do much composing before that or I, so i'd done a lot of like songwriting growing up and i was still like doing songwriting but not really like for like I wouldn't call it composing, so it wasn't for like a theatrical performance context. It was just like for myself to sing, basically. Um, and in then, what context did you do them in, like cabarets or something? Or? Yeah, just like well, I had um, a weekly slot at a local tapas bar. Oh well, I was um, Lavadega, <laughs> which has since closed. Not saying I had anything to do with me. Yeah, but I brought in the great crowds, um, and, I, and I'd be like, I would like sing like covers of Coldplay and Amy Winehouse there, but then also do a couple of originals and every like gigs, concerts, and stuff. Yeah, right. But right. then at uni was when I was like, oh, what if I started like, I think I was like doing some comedy songs for sketch shows and stuff. And then I was like, mate, maybe I could like write the score for this panto, um, which um, I then did with, with these guys as well. So that, that, that was quite fun because that was like a thing that we were all kind of doing together, mm, which was right. really cool. And then I was doing a bit of like orchestral composing for like Shakespeare's and stuff. And then that kind of led to, to six. And what was the initial impetus for... I, I get the impression that there was a, you had like a slot that you wanted to fill uh, that your university would take to, to the Edinburgh Festival. Is that right? Yeah. So the um, Musical Theatre Society at our university. This is Cambridge? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It takes a, an, well, it used to take a musical to the Fringe every year. Um, and uh, the president of that society, Joe Baton, who is still the musical supervisor of Six, oh. um, he was like, oh, I think it'd be really cool if we take an original show, basically because he was sick of losing all of the society's money, spending it on rights. So it was like, mm. let's do an original one, woohoo. Um, so they were kind of opening applications for that. Um, and yeah, and Toby and I had been like talking about writing a musical together for a really long time, um, talking about... Wouldn't it be cool if we could do a musical that had loads of meaty parts for women and like funny parts for our like friends who are like women and non-binary people who never got to do the fun parts and stuff like that? And then also being like, wouldn't it be cool if it was like a poppy musical? Anyway, so then Toby, you applied for the slot, didn't you? Yeah, so I applied for the slot with not not with six, but with like like criteria of the kind of show that I wanted to do off of like conversations that we'd had and also just like what I was able to do. And that was basically being like, I want to do a show that like um, is like all women and non-binary people or mostly women and non-binary people's stories at the forefront. Um, and then something that had poppy music, something that played around with the form a bit. Um, and then also something that had a famous subject matter because it was going to the Edinburgh Fringe. Um, and there's like thousands and thousands of shows there that like, you know, if you have something that people recognize in the subject matter that, that in, instantly is like, you know, you've slightly more chance of having more than one person come to your show. Right. Um, 
And then there were like a few ideas floating around about that. And then when I got the gig, I was kind of like thinking about those ideas and Six Wives was obviously at the forefront. There's like a, you know, a, the most like famous gr- group of women in like British history as like a collective. Um, and then, then thinking about like the form and thinking about like the poppy music. And that was kind of, I was mulling over that a bit. And then I was in a, a poetry class, much like this actually, as more not this is a poetry class, but like a, ta- <laughs> a table much like this, kind of like making notes about like whatever poetry we were doing. And suddenly like, I wasn't making any notes. <laughs> I was just pretending to listen. Um, and then I was like, oh my God, wait, what if it's a pop concert? And then I kind of was like writing down the ideas. And then I like rang Lucy not long after that. And I was like, look, here's the pitch. And, and Lucy was like, oh my God, that sounds like the most incredible idea ever. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> no, quite the opposite. No, <laughs> I'm being sarcastic. You can't tell listeners, but I'm actually being sarcastic. Um, and um, yeah, but yeah, Lucy was like, maybe, but yeah. And how did you each, it's very clear um, when you see the show that each queen clearly has her own sort of like palette of pop icons that they draw from, right? That is part of your conception for who these people are. Mm. How did you make those pairings? And how did you think about sort of who was a good match? Yeah, um, that really came from the sort of structuring of the show and what about their stories we wanted to tell. So because it was a pop concert, also because it's the Edinburgh Fringe, it has to be an hour long. We were kind of trying to figure out how to structure the show. And we were like, okay, well, if they have a competition, then they each can sort of state their case as to why they deserve to be the leading lady of the group. And that will help us, like, give a reason for them to have each one song and kind of keep it concise. Um, And so then from that point onwards, we were like, okay, well, let's start at the beginning, like Catherine of Aragon. And sort of because we needed, um, because it's like a feminist, like, reclaiming of of the sort of historical narrative, um, we were like, we need to sort of meet the expectation to a certain degree of what an audience is expecting from this like you know independent woman musical so we sort of chose rather than sort of being like oh wow Catherine of Aragon's story she's just like Beyonce we kind of looked at the whole scope of her life which was that had a lot of tragedy in it but we're like we can't start with a super tragic song so we were like well why don't we take this one moment of her life which was really where she really demonstrated her strength and like shape that into the the kind of the narrative of the, for that song. So the first song, No Way, is when she like makes a speech to Henry, being like, sit down and shut up or whatever. Um, and so that then led us to be like, oh, well, then she has to be, the music has to feel kind of strong and powerful. Oh, then it has to be like Beyonce, like J-Lo, like Shakira. Right. Similarly with like Anne Boleyn, we were like, we were interested in how everybody in the world has an opinion about Anne Boleyn and she's always kind of over-mythologized into this calculating temptress in this very gendered way, particularly by male historians and also by people at the time. Um, And so we were like, wouldn't it be funny if we made her the complete opposite of that, just as a way of like poking fun at that historical narrative and made her this like a uh, sort of party girl, fun-loving woman who's like, yeah, I don't mind, like, whatever, like, doesn't really think too much about the consequences of her actions. And so we were like, oh, well, that needs to therefore be a kind of, um, like, light and bouncy, like, bubbly song, a bit like, uh, have a, a sort of inspirations about Lily Allen and Kate Nash or like Miley Cyrus. So they kind of came from, like, what part of the story we wanted to tell. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. And Jamie, when did you get involved? In terms I of- came on board, it would have been almost three years ago, to about now, so February 2017. And I'd actually graduated the summer before and was working at a theatre in London as a resident director. I was doing lots of assistant jobs and uh, then heard about the show, was so excited by it. And then when um, Toby and Lucy invited me to come on board with it, 
I actually had to turn down a job to do it. And I remember I really annoyed my boss because he was like, Hey, I want you to assist me on this show. It's going to be incredible. I was like, Oh, I want to go do this like student show with my friends. And he was like, why are you doing that? Like, it's just some student show. Um, but I think part of it was like, I'd worked with these two before and just loved, um, the way their brains worked effectively. And, um, even though I come, I came on board and none of it had been written from the conversations I'd had with them and their kind of ambitions, the famous six point plan, um, I could, get a, a sense of what it was that they were going to create. And that excited me so very much that I knew I'd pass up anything to do. And so Toby and Lucy, how did you work together as co-writers? Were Toby, were you primarily the composer and Lucy, were you the lyricist or was it more like porous than that? It's, it's more, it's more porous than that. I mean, Toby is definitely way more of the composer. So Toby's like at the piano and he'll like make the, like actually like bring the musical suggestions up and like, and like form those things. But it's, it's definitely not that like I type the lyrics away and like give them to Toby to set. Like it's very much usually what happens. I mean, it changes every time we write a song to be honest, but, um, usually we'll kind of have like the concept and idea and like discuss that. And out of that, Toby will kind of create some kind of, like initial draft and then we'll kind of be like oh that's really exciting let's take this bit and move it there and it's like and then we'll like start to think about what different bits of the um what the, what the story wants to be and how we want to like form that onto the like structure of a pop song and then we'll kind of like brainstorm jokes together and then like slot it all i don't know yeah so it's 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 we, we kind of call ourselves like the writers of it because it doesn't it doesn't make sense to, for me to be like lyricist and also we write the book together as well right right I'll have more with the creators of Six right after the break. And now here's more with Toby Marlowe, Lucy Moss, and Jamie Armitage. And uh, please describe the initial performances in Edinburgh, the, what the venue was like and who, per, who performed. And uh... So it was our friends. Five of them were our friends from university and one of them was Toby's little sister. Um, and they were all just incredible, like performers, just unbelievably funny and amazing. And, um, it was in this little conference center in a hotel, one of the sort of winding streets of Edinburgh. And it was the Edinburgh Fringe is kind of like big venues that you've heard of. And then ones that you haven't really heard of. And I hadn't heard of our venue before. Um, and yeah, it was just like, and it's in just a conference space, basically, right? Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like a room on a yeah, yeah, little yeah. platform, right? Yeah, and there's yeah. like they put like seats out on sure. a sort of flat levels. Sure. Everyone's got, everyone apart from the front row is like craning to see. Yeah, um, and have really like ugly carpet and really yeah. like non-specific sure. art on the wall. That yeah, kind yeah. of art that's not going to offend <laughs> anybody. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was that kind of space, but that's where the show was, and it was just sort of a, um, a flat bit of black deck mm. with some curtains up at the edge, yeah. in which we did six for the first time and was there a sense then that it was a, a thing that people were getting excited about um i guess so yeah i mean the, the, the first few performances we had like some reviewers coming in and because it was the first few performances we like basically filled out with our friends we were like oh god if you're gonna come like please come to these shows but then kind of a like show four or five it was re- it was still really full and people mm. were like queuing to get tickets before mm. the show right i'm kind of looking around the room being like I don't know anyone here. <laughs> like, yeah. this is really bizarre. And then, yeah, it, it just, the word of mouth just kind of, and also like, you know, a lot of us were like out on the street, like flyering, um, right. like the Queens be in their costume, like performing songs from it on the mile, which is like the big, like central road in Edinburgh. Right. Um, 
and but then just very quickly we're a bit like oh well, i guess we don't really need to do that anymore because it's like selling out a few days before right. which is like which was ridiculous and what did you learn about the show over from from that first edinburgh uh, production. You then did some Monday night performances on the West End as sort of a mm-hmm. trial balloon, right? Just to yeah. see how it existed in the commercial theater. What did you learn about the show from uh, both those those Edinburgh performances and then its move to the West End that uh, has influenced the way the show's developed? Um, I think uh, it's difficult to say. I think I think writing wise, we kind of learned a lot about what worked and what didn't. And I think in our Edinburgh first. In the first production, we had sort of half of our songs were written as if they were, they could be lyrically contemporary pop songs, and then half of them had sort of loads of like Tudor references in and jokes. And we kind of like, I think we like, over the course of watching that Edinburgh and then rewriting for the um, West End showcases, sort of honed into like what it was that was working, kind of tried to like filter that into the rest of the writing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think we, we also learned that it's like, it, 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 it worked outside of like a fringe atmosphere because like at the Edinburgh Fringe like you're going to lots, lots of shows of like you know beers in your hand you're drinking right. from noon it's probably 10.30 like, at night when they're watching your show right? yeah well, so I, I think we were on at like 5.55 but like but people also you go to the Fringe you're, there's lots of comedy you're, you're there you're, and if you're a Fringe audience member you're going you're to be rowdy you're going to scream if people ask you to scream whereas like the middle of London is like a slightly different vibe and I think beforehand we were very much like like and I remember the Queens as well that we had in London because they hadn't been in the French production. They were like, you know, when we end ex-wives, the opening number, and then go, London, how are you doing tonight? Like, what if they're just like... <laughs> yeah, I remember I remember <laughs> you know Christina mean? Modestu, who was the Anne Boleyn, genuinely mm. being like, okay, so like, but what's the backup plan for if they don't, if they don't say anything? Because we know what London audience is going to be like. And we were there being like... I think they're gonna they're gonna cheer. I think they are like having mm-hmm. watched the the way it worked in Edinburgh, and they were like, no, no, but like, let's just think of a plan. And we were like, okay. And I remember the first night they did the show, they finished X Y, and it's this big like X Y's bam, and the whole audience like screamed, and you saw every single like every single one of their like eyes just like widen, yeah. and they were like, oh my goodness, we had because no, they'd been just like doing it in this room for two weeks, they had no idea it was any good, and then mm-hmm. and then it was so fun because you could what you watched every single one of them be like for a split second like overwhelmed by it, and then all of them decide to be like right we're gonna do this and it was so it was just like such a great moment that's always the best moment in any production that we do is like opening night or first preview or whatever of the end of ex-wives and just seeing the queens face just be like, <gasps> like with, the, with the whole room of people just like yeah. screaming at their faces you know it's great i also think another thing that we learned was that the actual like essence of the show and the thing about it that works is the six amazing performers that these six people that you buy into and them being like at the forefront and that and this kind of that those performances and the sort of writing being at the forefront and it was really awesome to see that even in the west end when it was you know a very it, it wasn't a fully kind of realized production it was sort of like a suggestion of what the kind of full production would be but it wasn't it wasn't like overly glitzy and glamorous it really like reinforced for us that that was what made it really that that's what made the show successful and i think that was something that when we went to do the production in norwich um and the, what, what the production is now, the first time we did this version of the show, um, that was something that was quite hard because we were suddenly allowed to do like full staging and costume and sort of like, and for a second, the kind of pop concert conceit slightly overwhelmed those kind of the central parts of it. And so it was really helpful when we saw that to kind of think back to what had been successful in Edinburgh and in the West End and kind of refine it and put the performers and the story at the forefront again. Because right. I think that was the thing that we didn't realise we got so much 
three when we were students, which is when six, you know, 18 to 21 year olds walk out on stage wearing dresses from Boohoo and they go, we're the six words of Henry VIII and we're a superstar girl band. The audience go, ah, ha, ha, that's so funny. You're not. Um, and then, um, but then they buy into that a lot. But I think what we felt when we had all the presentational elements, the costume, the wigs, the lights, um, and these performers who look like they could feasibly be pop stars and we go with the six wives of henry VIII, we're a superstar girl band and the audience went yes you are that and it took a while before they realized that it was a show that allows you to laugh at it for how seriously it commits to that thing and it was a period of readjustment during those previews from like a presentational side but also this one writing change which lucy and toby made which just kind of allowed the audience in to laugh at it and so it wasn't something that took half an hour to figure out they could realize in the first five minutes that you were allowed to laugh at the show what, what, what was that change that change was um okay so i'll tell you the line here because it won't make sense for the uk but we've ch- okay okay so that, so it's in ex-wives there's like they've been singing it singing a couple of verses and choruses and there's a little break in it and then in a very sultry way, Catherine of Aragon says, remember us from PBS, which I've heard is a, some kind of documentary channel. Um, it, it, yeah, it's like, yeah, I was in, about to say public television, but that doesn't mean anything to you. Um, but, right. But what is the line in, in, in the In the UK? UK, it's remember us from your GCSEs, which are the exams you take when you're 16. Okay. And everyone learned yep. about the Tudors at school. So it was kind of, it's a similar idea of taking something a bit like lame and nerdy and dorky and like, making it sound as if it's really sexy. And that's sort of the whole conceit of the show, like slammed together in one line. Mm-hmm. Right. Do you do, how much of that did you have to do, the sort of switching uh, references for, for the for US? Us? That's yeah. like the only real like reference that we switched. Yeah. Uh, we do things like changing the word fit to hot and like right. changing mates to friends or like bro or whatever. But it's, right. it's really, and, and that's, then we do that because the accents that they use in the US show are their own. So it's yeah. not about trying to like, make it sound British. Did you ever think about using British accents, having mm-hmm. yeah. British accents? Yeah, we thought about it for about a, a couple of minutes. Um, and then we're like, wait, they're, they're the Six Wives of Henry VIII as a pop group. Why on earth should it be historically accurate? And it wouldn't even be accurate anyway. Like the whole, the whole, um, the whole idea of the show, I think the whole conceit of it is that it's, while it's like about the Six Wives and their story, really what it is is about six women or non-binary people on stage saying this is who i am today and like claiming their space and claiming their stories and it's so important for us that they reflect the audiences that they're talking to so in the uk um they have lots of different regional accents um and so for example like anna of cleves um in our london production is from birmingham and like and that and that accent is very distinctive to our original Catherine parr was from manchester and you know, Anna of Cleves would have technically had a German accent or whatever. And so it, so it already kind of had that within it. But I think a lot of people are like often surprised to hear that they don't have a British accent. Mm-hmm. And then they go like, the knee jerk reaction is like, wait, what? But what? Like, what? they should. And then you like, and then you like think about it. And you're like, okay. And I think audiences probably come and see it and they go, <clears> wait, <throat> hang on a second. They're not singing in a British. And then they forget about it off by the end of the sentence because they're like, woo, it's a girl mm-hmm. then. Yeah. <laughs> I also like, I feel like Catherine of Aragon having an American accent supposed to be a British accent is is like far less distracting than like six American actors doing like Dick Van Dyke accents being like, oh, hello, it's me, Catherine of Aragon. 
which is like, of course, our talented performers or the I'm wonderful sure British could. accents, I'm yeah. sure. But I think we find that a lot more distressing, as, as you probably find, like, hearing British people doing American accents very distressing right. as well. And how, now that you've worked with a number of different actresses for each of these roles, what is it, how do you cast them? What is it you look for for each? Um, it's so difficult queen. to describe. I think we always talk about it as like this kind of like essence or charm. And it's something which you know when you see it. Because there's like, is that charisma, really? Yeah, and mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's that thing which is like, you know, they've got to be able to sing the notes, they've got to be able to dance, um, which is all very difficult and requires a level of technical skill. But we see lots of people who can do that, but then there's just right. this extra spark that you see when somebody walks into the room. And then the next stage of that is what I really love in rehearsals is when we try and, like, unlock what would be there in a pop star. And that's what we always talk about during the first week is, like, if you were a pop star, what would you be? And they're like, oh, you want me to be like Beyonce? I was like, no, no, no. I want you to be a pop star similar to Beyonce, but it's you. And this is forged from your personality, your quirks, your talents. And it's, I think it's a difficult process for a lot of performers because they're so used to just sort of putting on a mask effectively. Mm-hmm. And, and filling like the track and being like, no, but what's the version? And we're like, there isn't the version because it's you doing it. It has to be mm-hmm. you as an authentic human being because, uh, because of the concept, because it's a pop concert concept. They do, they like interact with the audience and talk to them and like are supposed to be themselves in a way that a normal musical or a narrative musical that's kind of like the fourth wall and then as you say, like with this mask. So yeah, it's really, we really like try and shape the performer and the character. We're sort of like 50% is like the character and 50% is the actual performer. Um, so yeah, it also means that we can just cast like people who are like interesting and sparky and feel like unique in the room as opposed to sort of being like okay we need someone who fits this bill and sounds like this exactly and looks like this and stuff like that and i love it because it means we've done a number of productions now but if you were to see them side by side they're all really different because we've made so many adjustments based on the cast performing them rather than us setting it with our first cast and then just replicating that like a cookie cutter across every single production since and that makes our jobs a lot more fun because it's really varied but also it feels truer to what we're trying to achieve with the show Mm -hmm. and in terms of the sort of pop concert structure of it you know because it's like structured like a pop concert with a story that kind of sneaks up on you if you're you know not expecting it um what kind of challenges did that present um jamie you alluded to this a little bit in terms of uh like or maybe maybe it was you lucy in terms of um kind of oh suddenly it went too far into the like pop concert like the the pop sort of mechanisms kind of overwhelmed it or what how did you find that balance i guess i think i think it's something that we constantly have to negotiate and i think we spend our whole time being like, it's a pop concert, it's a pop concert, it's a pop concert. And then you get to the point where you're like, but actually it's a musical and you're telling us a story kind of thing. And, mm-hmm. and I think I think it's just something that we have to really work with with our performers. Like, for example, mm-hmm. Jane Seymour, who sings the kind of ballad, the third song, mm-hmm. well, not the third, you know, the third, the third queen. Um, the, the way she delivers it is that we sort of do like a scene version in rehearsals where we kind of, it's like her deathbed song. It's a conversation with Henry. And then we have to find a way for that to be not not as literal as that, but also not as general as like, I'm at a concert, I'm just singing to it. And so we sort of have this sort of Henry figure that we imagine, there's a, guys, there's a scene in Gilmore Girls where <laughs> Lorelai Gilmore is doing karaoke and then the love of her life like walks in and she's singing, I will always love you. And then suddenly she like sees him and then kind of like sings it to him, but is also still singing it to the audience. And that's a, so that's that. a, that's a strong reference for, for me personally. <laughs> I don't know if anybody else still it is exactly for me yes, as well. great. Okay. I've, never, I've never seen it but I just I get it I get, it. I get the writing I mean there's also thing we talked about so much during the design process when we're kind of what the set is the fact that like pop concerts at the moment are deconstructing themselves and that a lot of like the major artists are doing riffs on what a pop concert is so if you were trying to do something like that 
you know, like what Kanye West does, what Beyonce does, where they're doing like strange takes on it, it wouldn't quite make sense to an audience because the thing we've got to do is like set that it is a pop concert to most people, to audiences who are more used to seeing theatre perhaps. And so we're trying to find like, what's the distilled version of a pop concert? But then you have to start pulling some stuff away because if we're being really true to it, there'll be a lot of video content. There'd be cameras, there'd be screens, there'd be like huge barriers between the first row of the audience and the front row and the where the performers are. And that was some of the stuff we're like, actually, we don't want that side of the pop concert because we need to pull away those barriers. We can't have like rows of speakers on stage, which act like a sort of, sort of wall between the performers and the audience. And so there's some of that stuff, which we went, actually, that's the unhelpful side. And so mm. what we ended up with is hopefully like an nice blend between something true to pop concert but also to theatre too. Mm -hmm. And Six has been sort of by any measure massively successful but pretty, even if it weren't you know the first real professional show that you guys had worked on together right? Like what what's your what's your sense of do you have a sense of how sort of the show has evolved and how you have worked on it and how it's grown and developed? Do you have a sense yet of what kind of perspective that gives you on kind of your work or sort of how it might fit into the industry overall looking forward? No. <laughs> it's, it's funny because like it, it, it's been so quick as we keep being told. Mm. Um, and it's and it, but the, the thing, the thing as well is that like, but, but, it's true. It's super quick. But, but, yeah. but, I, but, I, but I say that because like we have like no other experience to compare it to because right. we literally, and like, it's not like any of us like spent time after uni, like struggling to get a musical on. And now we've like been given, we just like walked out of uni, literally like holding our degrees. And then we're like, Oh, well, I guess we're doing the show now. Do you know what I mean? And like, and it's just been like, rapidly growing kind of since then and, and because like you know as the other writer you're also the director and like we've all been there from the beginning it's like th there hasn't really been a time of like stepping away from it because like you've been in rehearsals constantly we've all been like traveling around the world constantly into various like cities in the uk to be doing it do you know what i mean it's like mm -hmm. it's like it's 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 not like we've had like a year out, we've come back and be like, oh wow, it's so big. It's like, and, and I feel like what's fun, what's funny about it is that like this Broadway is kind of like, you know, it's like the final step of like the journey to like, <laughs> in an interview the other day I called Broadway the Rome of musical theatre. Like, still to this day, don't actually know why I did that. <laughs> but, but, but because like Broadway's like, you know, it's like the, like the biggest, best place you can like open a musical. And so now after this is it like, it, we, we might finally be the time of kind of like stopping opening six for a bit and being like, oh, like, like how far we've come. Yeah, I think that's so true because I think as you say, it was like we were at the Edinburgh Fringe of Students in August and then we, we came back and we're doing it in October and then the showcases were you know I think uh, Kenny Wax one of our producers came and saw the show on a Friday and by the Monday we were in his office and he was being like we're going to do this watch and we're like okay and we just like consistently like, continued working on it and and then when he was like I want to do these four Monday night showcases of it in the West End was like the biggest deal and the most imp exciting and unbelievable opportunity we could ever have imagined. And then it, it kind of feels like almost every day since then, something like that kind of happens. Whether it's like someone that's come to the show or some other plan they're going to do with it, or like some of the like cool like, deal that's going to happen with the show. It's, it's like, yeah. it's like, it, it's, it's 
it's pretty yeah. As so you we've say, like got it's, it's we've fair. got used to the exponential growth to a certain degree. Like the, what we've got used to is it is it getting more and more wild? Do you know what it's going to be? It's going to be when we try to do our next show. Yeah, and no one's going to whatever it ends up being. No one's going to want to produce it. It's going to take years to develop. It's going to take years to put together, and then we're going to, and then it's going to open and it's going to be like oh yeah, it's fine, and then it'll close, and, and then we'll be like, like oh, oh wow yeah we then when we come back to six we're like look how good it is can we talk about six now and we're like no, we, we've lost interest. <laughs> yeah. There's been some nice ones which have been smaller scale because I guess, yeah, the grand things we can't really get our heads around, but there's sort of small adjustments which were things we didn't really like come in. I mean, we've got to change the way this is done, but like some of the working practice about our approach to auditions, which just comes from us being enthusiastic students, which is like, we applaud at the end. We make sure people find out whether they're being considered further or not. And these things which we just think are like the most obvious stuff in the world. And then you come out and realize that's not standard practice. And you're like, how has this been happening? How has no one gone? This is a really stupid, cruel way of working. And that's been nice over the last few years of seeing that, um, the, some of the people we've been working to have been adjusting to that and they've been embracing that so strongly. And I think. It's very localised, but it is like one of the small positive changes we've Honestly, seen. Honestly, a there. massive pat on the back for us. Well done, us for being <laughs> so thoughtful. <laughs> and so, what's next for you guys? Do you oh, even know? Do you, know. Like, can you talk about it? Do you have you even had time to really think much about? I'm going on a lads' you... holiday to Berlin. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> After we do Broadway, and that's fun. Yeah. <laughs> it's a hassle, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I, yeah uh, Oh my god, you're directing something. Well, I was going to say, Lucy and I are doing something which is, we both chose these projects independently, but are so scarily similar and indicative of what we've been working on, where I'm doing a student version of Sweeney Todd, and Lucy is doing... I'm doing a version of Guys and Dolls, which is like, it's not gender flipped, but it's like like drag, basically. And my old... um, drama school um mm. but not not mm. like a production just doing a two-week like workshop like messing around i think we both were like we need to have some fun with something that isn't a new pop concert yeah. musical yeah. I, i'm directing production of cats at another Great. drama school Excellent. as well yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a kind of concept production where the, yeah. the cast is actually going to be majoritively cats yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but do you have a sense yet of what kind of work you want to do going forward yeah, I, I mean, like, we want to write more musicals. We also want to write, like, pop, like pop songs as well. I feel like, I feel like you know, all this, any stuff that we do in the future, it's going to be, like, rooted in, like, something that we care about. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? As opposed to, like, a story that we want to tell. It's going to come from, like, a conversation about something that we care about and then writing a show to, like, explore that or yeah. expose that. I think, I think... We're both quite didactic with what we want out of theatre. Like we, we, I, I think it's like, I always, if I come away from a show being like there was no like message or point, I'm like, but why? Mm-hmm. Like, why are you doing this? Even mm-hmm. though I know that it's actually like, you know, art is great. I'm really like, tell me something that I need to change about myself or don't bother. <laughs> mm. I mean, we've had a bit of like a break from writing, like, <clears throat> like doing the whole Broadway thing. But, <laughs> sure. But like, we're going to you know hopefully i mean like we're we're always just like the happiest people ever when we're doing new writing right. and when we're like working on stuff because like you know it's like what we do for a job now but we actually spend like so little time actually doing it we spend most of our time like telling people that we're writers mm. <laughs> but, like, <laughs> but like having written like nine songs you know yeah. and so like it's 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 and we're always it's i'm just looking forward to doing lots of like writing and it might all be terrible and we'll probably never have a you know successful show ever again but 
it's like really fun to do, you know? And it's like why it's like it's like what like the basis of all our friendships with each other is is like <clears throat> like putting shows together. And so I'm looking forward to like yeah. doing that it's, again in the future. It's what we would be doing if we weren't being paid to do it. That's what's yeah. always so fun about six, is that I'm like if even if I'm like having a like tired day or whatever, I like come in and I'm like and nobody tell the producers this, but I would do it for free. I mean, I'm like, your secret's safe. Yeah, I'd be like, I, it, so it's a really cool to be like, oh, let's do some writing for fun, and then it's like, oh wait, this is our job, but also like, yeah, it, mm-hmm. it's, it's awesome. Right. Yeah. Oh, also, we, I want to get a boyfriend as well. Haven't done that yet. <laughs> so if anyone knows, anyone. you heard it here. Yeah. Toby's number. My is- number is plus four four. <laughs> <laughs> You can just DM me. Well, fine. yeah. <laughs> At the Toby Marlowe Instagram. Well, I cannot wait to see what's next, either for your love life, Toby, or uh, on stage. For You're all invited to the wedding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to myself. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, all three of you. Thanks for talking to me. Thank you so much. That was Toby Marlowe, Lucy Moss, and Jamie Armitage, the creators and directors of Six, now playing at the Brooks Atkinson Theatre. If you like what you're hearing on this and other episodes of Stagecraft, you can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, and you can subscribe and find past episodes there, on Spotify, on the Broadway Podcast Network, and on all the other pod places. And if you've got feedback, find me on Twitter at GCoxVariety. I'll be back next week with another new episode. Until then, see you at the theatre. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.